Please remain standing. Um, We are going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Pastor Nate joked with me that, uh, and and asked if I was going to be hanging garlands in the sanctuary, uh, because this is an Advent passage, um, but it's also just a wonderful, encouraging passage of Scripture as well, foretelling the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 say this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would go forth in power. We thank you for Um, guiding and directing us this morning as we study your word. Um, Please be with us, be near to us. Um, Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, I pray that they would come to a saving faith of knowing you through the service, through the singing of hymns, and through this word. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a secondary reason why I'm teaching this to, uh, this morning is that uh, Pastor Nate gave me about a week heads up that he needed me to come, and this is the series that I'm doing with my students at UTSA. Uh, we're going through the Apostles' Creed and studying um, really what it means to be a Christian um, and what the historic uh, Christian faith is all about. And so this passage Uh, really gets at the first part about Jesus. I believe in God, uh, the Son, our our Lord, um, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This part of the Apostles' Creed is very, very clearly stated here. 
uh, and it's a joy to be able to, uh, to present this to you. I've also been helped. Uh, I have a couple of friends that I'm going through uh, this Apostles' Creed study with. Uh, one is named Stuart Swain, who's at the University of Alabama, and uh, the other is John Minan, who these, these men both serve um, at universities. He's at the University of Vermont. Um, and so we've been going through this and talking through uh, this passage and uh, what, what this means in the Apostles' Creed. And so in thinking of the Apostles' Creed, you look at the first person of God, God the Father, and you see that there is a need to trust in a good and gracious Father who made all things and fortunately, for our sake, made things with a purpose. He didn't just create the world let it spin and go away. He, he actually had a purpose, and he had his hand on it, and he cares for his people deeply. That's why we call him the father and not just creator, uh, not some distant person, but actually uh, a family member. And this is really, this passage gets at the core of the Christian belief, that we believe that Jesus is uh, not just simply a good teacher or a, a prophet, someone that did something really good, but we see that Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, the best teacher that there has ever been, and truly the Lord of all, the one who reigns over all things and who we can put our deep trust in. And one thing that I want us to do is that we have to step into a little bit of mystery here. And I I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm a little uncomfortable with things like that. Things that I can't put into an equation or can't know for certain. There is a bit of, actually there's a a good amount of mystery that we just have to wrestle with and, and trust and believe. Because that is something that is happening here. Christianity is built upon the supernatural becoming human and being ruler and lord over all of us. That God became a man. It is, it's something that we can understand theologically, but it's actually really, really, really difficult to know how exactly it happened. It's just something that happened. Christ became man. He took on flesh. He humbled himself. Uh, this is a good and a beautiful thing, but it is something that isn't completely understandable or even explainable. Now, I'm going to be a little bit sappy, and maybe if you're not a romantic, you might feel awkward about this. But what I'm teaching you is essentially a love story. I'm teaching you this love story about how Jesus came into the world and how he longed to be with his people. And if, if, if I can be honest, love stories aren't really explainable or super understood. You just kind of have to believe what the person tells you. So I met Sarah Vigiano. August 20th of 2007. It was the day that I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and little did I know that that day would, would change my life. Um, little did I know that I met and uh, that, that I would meet an angel, or at least that's what I believe that I saw whenever I thought I saw a halo on her head. Um, that, that's a little, that, that's not exactly the truth, but that's at least what my memory tells me. She looked radiant. I was immediately captivated by her. She also had a Greek textbook in front of her, which I was a little confused by, but began to really love about her. As she was um, studying uh, with a good friend of mine, I remember her smile. I remember it seemed like her spirit just kind of jumped out of her. 
and like recalling that I had just met someone who was angelic. And what does she remember from this encounter? Very little. Very little, except for the fact that I bring up this story so often, maybe every like four to six months, and, I, and my kids love for me to tell this story because it embarrasses her quite a bit. Um, and if, if I wouldn't have been bringing up this story continually, she would have completely forgotten probably, or she would have remembered maybe that she met me at a certain time. But let's say that you are a romantic and you believe this full stop. You 100% believe it. And, but you're also looking at some kind of evidence. You want to meet Sarah. You want to see us around one another. Let's say you might be a skeptic or a cynic, and maybe you believe half of what I told you. Maybe you think I got some of the details wrong. And you are looking for evidence to determine if it's actually true. You actually want to see, is this thing true? Is this love story a true part of um, what's real, right? And both of those are actually fine if you come into this story of the virgin birth being foretold. Being either a a hopeless romantic, someone who really truly wants to believe everything, or being a a skeptic is is fine because we both are, are longing for some kind of evidence to know that this was true. Did Jesus come as a baby? Was he conceived by the Holy Spirit? Was he born of the Virgin Mary. And what I, what I want to declare to you today is that the love story of Christianity that Jesus came is actually the greatest thing that we can believe in. I, I, I think that that is obvious that we're gathered in church to hear of this, but it is not obvious for our whole world to hear that. Many, many people truly believe that what they do and what they have inside of themselves is the greatest thing. They are not looking outside of themselves for anything that could be good or definitely not anything that could be great. We can often even live our lives in such a way that as long as we are the captains of our own ship, that things are good and things are okay. And what we have to do in believing Christianity, in believing that Jesus came for us, is to let Jesus be the greatest thing in the world. One of the the beautiful things of being a Christian minister is to actually be a person, and I'm positive I've mentioned this before, but one who is actually pointing to Jesus constantly and telling students, which is my context, that's the greatest thing for you to follow. Don't look at me. Don't look at my family. Don't look at the things that I tell you. Look to Jesus. Follow after Jesus, because that is the most important thing. And so how do we know that Christianity is great and that this act of, uh, of Jesus coming into the world is the greatest thing? The first is that Jesus is Lord, and the second is that Jesus was born of a virgin. So the first thing, that Jesus is Lord. This is such a, a, a beautiful statement, and we're not in the ancient world, we're not in feudalism, so we can't completely understand what's happening here. But what Christianity tells you is that in this love story, you're given a new identity and you're given someone to follow. You're given a, a Lord over you. You're given one that you belong to. 
You as a, as a Christian person belong to Jesus. Um, I love what the Apostle Paul says, that you were bought at a price. You are no longer yourself. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. This designation of, of Christ as Lord also says, I trust in Jesus because Jesus has, has, has bought me, that I actually belong to him. Taylor Swift, who is a pop star, um, has a song called You Belong to Me. And I think that oftentimes there are people who I work with who think that that's what belonging to, uh, to Christ is. If you could see that I'm the one who understands you, I've been here all along, so why can't you see? You belong to me. You belong to me. Um, that is not exactly what it is. It's that Jesus came into this world to be with us. It, it wasn't just some kind of contractual agreement. It wasn't just some, uh, you know, people looking at each other and belonging to one another. It's that Jesus actually came for us to rescue us. He wanted to be our Lord and Savior. The truth is, is that as we call Jesus Lord of our life, we, um, we don't just let him belong to us, but we actually subject ourselves. We submit ourselves to him as the Lord over all the earth and over everything that we have. And so some, someone might actually be confused. Why would you do this? Why, why would you strip yourself to, to make Jesus your Lord? Why would you trust him in this way? I love what C.S. Lewis once said. And I think he may have actually been quoting someone else. But he said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of all. I'm sure some of you guys have heard that. That he is either a liar in the sense that he is, is just telling something false about himself. That he was a false prophet that was not real. That he, that, that he just told a bunch of things that were, that were false and he was crucified for it. That he was... Um, a lunatic, that he was a crazy person. You can even find evidence in the Bible where, where Jesus' family is like, who is this guy? What is he doing? Right? Um, it, or you could trust that he is the Lord of all. One of the, uh, going along with the liar and lunatic, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, if we are in Christ, if we who are in Christ have hoped in him, then we are of all people to be pitied. What I think is so amazing about these words is that they were written by the Apostle Paul, that they are in the Bible, that it actually gives secular people or people who are anti-Christian fuel to say, yeah, you are to be pitied. And yet they were written almost 2,000 years ago at a time when there weren't a ton of Christians in the world, and now we have 2,000 years of Christian history of people who have followed the Lord. We're gathered here today to do that very thing. Um, and there are millions, if not billions, of people. There's evidence of all of these Christians that have lived before us and have, have believed in the supernatural thing that, that Christ is our Lord. Um, it, it's just amazing. So Jesus... We, we, we could even say this, that Jesus could be 
Lord over all. And I, I want to declare that he is. That he is, and he is worth believing. Okay, the second thing I want us to talk about is the virgin birth. We're not in a Catholic church, so this is going to be a little bit different than what you would have heard in a, in a Catholic church. And I think it's something that we don't, we don't always talk about a whole lot. Um, or it's something that is assumed uh, because we want it to be true. Um, but one thing that I want you to notice is that the angel addresses Mary as favored three times in this passage. She says, the, the, the angel actually comes to her and, and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you in verse 28. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Right? So there, there is this sense that Mary, that there is something that is special about Mary. Now, in, in some traditions, as I said, the, the Catholic tradition, it would be that she is like a, the holy mother of Jesus. And that she is, is praiseworthy and there should be prayers that are given to her. Um, but the words need to be understood in the context of who Mary is and even the rest of the Bible and understanding the rest of the Gospels. The Gospel story of knowing that, that Mary was not perfect. And she also had other children. So her, her title and designation as a virgin is only during this time where she had Jesus in the womb. And so when, when you hear Mary, I want you to see her as a servant of God. And what, one of the fascinating things about this passage is that the way that the angel is speaking to her is very, very similar to how the angel speaks to the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, whenever, when, whenever they are encountered by God and whenever they deliver messages. She is like a prophet who is delivering literally, the word of God um, by way of carrying him in her womb. And so the, the virgin birth is clearly centered around Jesus, around what, like, who, who actually comes out. It's centered around the miracle that was Jesus's conception and birth. I mean, here, here's what we hear, right? The, the conceived by the Holy Spirit that we hear in the Apostles' Creed. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is verse 35. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. What does that mean? We honestly have no idea. But in a miraculous way, there is, a, there is an overshadowing that happens, which you can hear some Old Testament references of the shadow of, of the cloud uh, of God coming over his people. Uh, there, there's a sense that what, what is happening here is part of what has happened in all of Scripture, but there is, is also something that is just unknown. We don't exactly know what has happened. But the, the angel is delivering this news to Mary and asking her to be a servant of him. Um, and really, she essentially doesn't have a choice. She's going to be a servant of his. Um, God's people were there to witness, 
And, and we're longing to witness the sign of him that the virgin would bear a son. I didn't have Alex read it, but from Isaiah 7, 15, it indicates that he will actually have the ability not to sin, which Jesus does. And we gain this deep understanding in Isaiah 7 that Jesus was deeply connected both to Scripture and the, and the storyline of Scripture, so all of the Bible being together, but also that he was coming for the sake of his chosen people, that he was, that he was being born into the people of Israel, that he was coming for them, but also at, at, when we zoom out and we begin to understand all of Scripture uh, and like the Abrahamic uh, promise in, in Genesis chapter 17, that he was truly after all of his people, all of the families of the earth. One note here about the, the virgin birth, too, is that miraculous births were told all throughout the ancient world. Um, Greek, myth, Greek mythological gods got all sorts of, of news about, about their births. Roman emperors. And so, This doesn't simply just follow into some kind of mythological line, but it shows that there that there was something about birth narratives um, that were good uh, and that were well understood in this context. Um, And so today, even uh, and and, excuse me, let me let me back up. And so the the birth narratives were were simply just known in uh, in in that context of Greece or in Rome and, and that empire. Um, I could not tell you anything about Caesar Augustus's birth narrative now. And only scholars of that time period could really tell you unless you Googled it right now and looked it up. But, but it's not something that's widely known. It's amazing that this virgin birth of, uh, of this baby that was born of, of Jesus who ended up being crucified on the cross, which was, which was supposed to be a way of forgetting people, is now repeated in every single continent in the world. That conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary are repeated by Christians because they and we believe that it is true and it is worth declaring. And it's not just for Christmas, too. Let me just say that, too. It is something that we hold on to because we believe that God has done something amazing in this world. Albert Einstein has a really interesting quote. He says, No myth is filled with such life. How different from other sources. Other heroes of their type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. I think it's fair uh, to place the... in the context of understanding all of the mystery surrounding who Jesus is, to say that there is myth. Not in the sense that it's not true, right? But just in understanding it. And so what, what Einstein says is that there is an, an authentic vitality, there is a life to it that has continued in Jesus that is unlike anything else. There's your evidence, essentially, of how great our God is. The Christian gospel um, actually causes us not just to, to believe this and to keep it inside of us, um, but actually also to go out and to give this greatness 
to point to others, um, point to Jesus, because it is way more important for us to give uh, the goodness of Jesus to other people. I want to I leave you with one more quote. This is um, from a guy named Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson played uh, a character in a show called The Office. Um, he was Dwight from The Office. I'm not sure if there are any Office fans here. But Dwight is just an incredible character. Um, he's a very awkward person, uh, but he just does an amazing uh, job of, of like, helping us understand ourselves, really. And so here's what, here's what Rain Wilson says. I'm going to leave you with this. There were times on The Office that I really struggled because I wasn't really happy, because it wasn't enough. Here I was on the greatest job that I could ever imagine, beyond my wildest dreams of that geeky chess-playing, bassoon-playing kid from the suburban Seattle that walked around like a pimply dork, that I would be part of one of the greatest TV shows of all time. I mean, give me a break. And here I was getting paid millions of dollars and playing one of the most memorable characters. And I'm getting awards and I'm working with the most beautiful family of actors and writers imaginable. And yet, I was like, how come I can't get more movies? And why did my movie bomb? And why won't they make a deal with me? And I, I, and I want to have this. And I want an office at Warner Brothers. And why can't I get this? I spent a lot of unnecessary time and angst and anguish in that anxious discontent. I think if we are honest... And maybe you're not as successful as uh, Rain Wilson is, but we all feel this. We all know that it is, uh, that, that things aren't enough. I was just having a conversation literally this week with a student who, who works at a church and says, there are times where I just don't want to go to church because I don't think that it's going to fulfill me. And we were talking about uh, we were talking about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, in a sense that there is a discontent that all of us have, and there's a reality that we continue to long for something else, and that is what Jesus longs for us. We don't just need to find happiness in ourselves. We don't just need to find contentment in ourselves and be okay with it, but we need to run and trust and find our faith in Jesus alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is our declaration. That is our hope. And friends, it's been said in every single time zone as we get here today on a Sunday morning. This is the declaration of the globalness of Christianity. This is how great Jesus is, that he changes the hearts of people all around this world. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth, for being a baby, um, for being, um, yeah, for using your servant Mary. Um, We pray that we would long to believe in this, even though at times it doesn't make sense, at times we're confused. Um, Father, we pray, we pray, Lord, um, that we would constantly be pointing ourselves to Jesus, that we would constantly be pointing to you, um, and that we would long to know you more and more each day. 
Father, thank you for this truth that we found in um, Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, Would you be with us as we go from here? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.